Hi, and welcome back to the Be A Better Ally podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. This week is Dyslexia Awareness Week, uh, which hopefully your school community has been celebrating. You can learn more about Dyslexia Awareness Week over there in the show notes. And I'm so happy to be bringing you a conversation with a book that I think is great for taking the ethos of that week into the rest of the year. The title of the book is Ari Sano, Prank Master General, and its author is on the show this week to discuss more about that book, as well as more about her inspiration as a writer and how you might take that inspiration into your classroom. Before we hop in, I want to let you know that the publisher of the book has also kindly agreed to give away a few free copies of this text. For you to learn more about winning a copy of that book, as well as a few other books, please make sure that you are subscribed to my free newsletter. You can sign up at allyed.org. That's A-L-L-Y-E-D.org or by heading over to the show notes. In the show notes, you'll learn more about today's guest, and you're also going to learn more about a brand new course that has been developed by Leanne Lavender. I know that many of listeners of this show are also IB educators and are engaged in the IB's Creativity Action Service. That's their CAS program. If you are looking for ways to create community partnerships that honor everyone in inclusive and sustainable ways, you might want to check out the new six-week course that is being facilitated by Leanne Lavender and Shay Asensio. You can learn more about that course, again, by heading over to the show notes. It kicks off this October. Now, let me tell you more about this week's special guest. Today, I have the great honor of speaking with the author of Irisano, Zoe Takashige, who originally hails from Southern California, but has spent the past decade on the East Coast after attending NYU for a BS in media culture and communications. Zoe received an MFA in creative writing from Emerson College before returning to New York to work in publishing. Zoe currently works in pre-press production at Penguin Random House, when not writing, Zoe enjoys crafts, video games, and D&D, which we get into in this episode. Irisano Prankmaster General is Zoe's debut novel, and it is one of my favorite middle grade books of the year. I'm going to say, actually, maybe of the decade. So please welcome to the show, Zoe, here to talk about that brand new book. Your brand new book, Irisano Prankmaster General Public enemy number one i i fell in love with this book from page one and my love did not dwindle it sort of grew and grew throughout it's a phenomenal text it's going to help readers of this show think about the child's experience when it comes to quote unquote fitting in and the sheer enormous pressure that students for whom school doesn't perhaps come naturally or you know the reality that school is um, not really built on a very inclusive model what are you know what they're facing? I'm wondering if you can talk more about what inspired your protagonist um, and and how Irie sort of came about for you. So I wrote this book uh, in conjunction with Cake Creative Kitchen. Um, so they came up with the initial idea for Irie, and 
uh, and that included her dyslexia. Uh, but when I was writing it, I brought in a lot of my own. I I was a good student in that I test well, um, but I was not a good student in that I was often. I was one of my teachers said I was the smartest lazy person he knew. Uh, and that's because I just, I never liked the structure of school. Um, I didn't really enjoy school until I went to grad school. Uh, and that's because I was in a creative writing program where all I took was creative writing classes. Um, so I drew on a lot of sort of my dissatisfaction with schooling and like how the school system in America is structured. Um, there's a bit in the book where I have her write a five paragraph essay about why the five paragraph essay is bad, uh, which is something I talk about with my teacher friends all the time. Cause it's something they immediately have to teach you not to do in college. Like that's the entire uh, first writing class you take in college. It's training you out of doing that. Uh, and so when I was writing it, I wanted, I wanted it to be clear that I enjoys learning. She likes knowing things. Uh, but she doesn't like the structure and uh, she doesn't test well. She doesn't necessarily do well on traditional uh, grading or learning goals, but there's other ways that she's uh, very intelligent and, and creative. Uh, and that was important for me to show. Well, I'm wondering part of the way that her intelligence I think begins to present is through theater and correct me if I'm wrong, but you also have somewhat of a, a theater background experience. So I'm, I'm wondering how important that was to you um, for that to come in and for that to be a part of her, her journey. Only a very little, uh, I did, I took the option of doing a drama class in middle school, uh, about the same age that Heidi is in this. Uh, I played Hamlet <laughs> in Hamlet uh, and I was cast as Hamlet because my teacher I was one of the two people in the class and the teacher was like, they can definitely memorize the like 300 plus lines that he has, <laughs> even in the like abridged version of the play that we were doing. <laughs> um, and I, I, I like acting. I like sort of improv. I play D&D with my friends and there's a lot of improv in that. And I think that's just a, a really fun way to, to make your creative brain work. Um, it's funny because when I play D&D, I don't prep very much. I just kind of, which is partially because my players never do what I think they're going to do. But it's also because it's it's easier to let things kind of flow in the moment. Um, and I think that's probably where some of that came from in the book. Oh, interesting. And I, I wonder, too, you know, we have a teacher in the book who is very supportive, uh, you know, plays a, a quite pivotal role. And I'm wondering, did you feel like with, uh, like on one hand, I could see your drama teacher in middle school seeing you as, as capable of memorizing all of those lines as <laughs> like you being seen for uh, a strength that you have. On the other hand, I could see it as like, oh no, I'm being tasked with this really difficult thing as a middle school student. So did you have a similar experience in that you felt like, like Irie who had, this teacher who kind of saw her, appreciated her, validated her. Um, was that sort of based on lived experience? I'm hoping so. Otherwise I'm kind of asking oh, yeah. on hash your, <laughs> your, uh, your schooling uh, trauma here. No, no. My drama teacher's name was Scott Waxler and he was uh, incredibly supportive. He was actually a 
an assistant teacher in my English class, I think the year afterwards. Um, and he was always very supportive of me and especially in my writing, uh, which I was 12 or 13. That wasn't very good. But my friend and I started a drama club in eighth grade and he supported us in that. And we put on a couple of plays, including one that I wrote, which was, I think, a combination. It was basically a combination of Twelfth Night and Much Do About Nothing, like all of the tropes <laughs> pushed into one play. Uh, and he actually he gave that play to his students, which was very kind of him. Um, in retrospect, I kind of wish he had it. <laughs> but uh that was he was one of the earliest people who wasn't a family member who was very supportive of that creative side of me um and I wish I had had more chance to talk to him and thank him for it because he passed away when I was in high school um and I still regret that I wasn't really able to express to him how important that was to me well I think many listeners of this show who are in education hopefully, you know, it is sort of something that you intrinsically understand, um, you know, that this is part of what education hopefully should be aspiring to that, you know, and your book kind of gets to this as well, that it's not, you know, like that assessment, the curriculum, that's the most important thing. It's these relationships and ensuring that students start to see like this thing that I have, this seedling of a skill or a talent, if somebody else appreciates it, it's likely to grow. Um, and so it's, you know, again, it's remarkable as you were talking about your 12 year old self and your writing in your own words, not in mine being not so good, but you know, it's the, the point that you're at now, of course, as an author, this book is, is just phenomenal. And, and I, I really want to say one thing that I appreciate is how it gives voice to what it means to be dyslexic as a young learner and what it means for them to not only just navigate school, but navigate the emotions. Uh, your protagonist is dealing with a lot of shame and of course, mm -hmm. a lot of complex friendship issues. And this is a middle grade book, but it in no way underestimates the middle grade reader. You know, the characters in this book have complex feelings. Um, they are not 1D. They are very much multi-dimension. I'm wondering if you can talk about, um, you know, again, developing the character, because I mentioned the book helps us think a little bit more about what it means to be dyslexic in school, but dyslexia is not what defines the protagonist here. So can you tell readers a little bit more about some of the developmental choices that, you know, really felt critical to you in the drafting process that leave us with this gorgeously complex character who I don't think readers will disagree with me. Like it's, it is a joy to go on this journey with her in the book. Yeah. So like I said, the the very base idea of the character came from Kate Creative and Danielle Clayton specifically. I, I worked on the initial pitch of this book in 2012 when I was an intern for her. Um, so I've known Idy for like a really long time. Um, but when the book eventually when the project eventually got passed on to me i started digging more into sort of the base notes we had on her we had you know she's japanese american she's a military brat she's a prankster she has dyslexia and she doesn't know she has dyslexia and is very self-conscious of the fact that she has difficulty reading so from there i started working on what are her motivations and what are her interests 
there was a little bit of her liking to draw initially, but then uh, I drew a lot more on that and her being interested in art, which is, again, sort of another thing that I was very into as a kid. Uh, and then I started wondering, okay, so why does she pull pranks? And I also was very firm with myself that I didn't want any of her pranks to be the really cruel kind. I didn't want anything to be partially because I was like, I just don't want this to be a bad influence on people. <laughs> um, I don't want kids to read this and be like, oh, I should just go glue my hair's my sister's hair to like a doorknob or something. Mm -hmm. um, and part of that was like, okay, so what what is her ethos around pranking? And so I made up a set of rules for her and tied her creative identity to that. So a huge point of pride for her is that her pranks are creative and interesting. Um, and her goal is to make people laugh because she likes it when people laugh and uh, she likes to make people smile. And that's kind of her love language. And that from there took me into her relationship with her mom, which initially was uh, mostly about the Japanese immigrant versus Japanese American conflict and the difference in cultures there. And that's still there. Um, there is a lot of difference between Asian American people, especially because her dad's family's from Hawaii, which is another very Japanese Americans in Hawaii is a very specific culture of its own. Uh, and that's where my mom's family is from. So that's where a lot of that came from. Um, and I, in addition to the like sort of cultural uh, conflicts there, I added this idea that her and her mother ex express love in different ways and don't fully understand that about each other. In this book, her mom has started to understand a little bit more um, what Idy is doing when she's pulling pranks and even helps her pull one, which my dad or my mom said was her favorite part of the book. Uh, and then when it came to her learning and, and her dyslexia, I did a lot of research on dyslexia. Uh, I asked some people I know who are teachers or who, uh, who I know people with dyslexia, sort of how it manifests for them. And I think in culture, we have a very uh, standard sort of stereotypical idea of how dyslexia manifests. It's the, you know, letters moving around on the page, letters getting switched. Uh, and that's, from what I can tell, that's sort of the best way that you can verbalize what's happening in your brain when you're looking at words when you have dyslexia, but that's not exactly what it is. Uh, so I made up also a list of rules for how her dyslexia functions. Um, I'm trying to see if I can find it, but I, I knew part of it's like, she cannot, she can't look at a word and immediately figure out how it sounds and then like can't break it down into parts and figure out what the meaning is, which is something uh, that people without dyslexia usually just sort of learn as a skill as they get older. Um, and also people with dyslexia frequently have trouble with math, which is another thing I wanted to bring into this because I think that's just something people don't know about as much. Um, and I wanted it to be a little bit more complex than the typical uh, than the typical portrayal of dyslexia. And in this book, I wanted to bring forward some of the techniques uh, that you can use if you have dyslexia, like highlighting things or using a ruler to, keep your place in a block of text, that kind of stuff.
the the nuance absolutely comes through and then we also have you know again you mentioned the kinds of pranks the rules around the, the kind of pranking you know almost like not punching down only punching up pranks mm-hmm. so to speak um and we see the character like getting consent of the teacher to have a certain prank and we also see um them having conversations about who else is going to be aware of the dyslexia and who's not. And it very much, of course, is the protagonist who's given agency to decide when and where she wants to reveal that, which I think is a a great conversation point. You know, all of this happens in a condensed text too. So listeners Mm -hmm. who might not have the book yet are thinking, wait, is this like 700 pages? Because, (laughs) you know, everything that you just walked through, the dynamic of the parent-child relationship, all of the cultural learning, it does happen in kind of like an economic text set. And I feel like I'd be totally remiss if I didn't bring up your illustrator um, who helps that happen. And I'm curious, actually, you know, you mentioned that in many ways the book was a collaboration because you were kind of presented with like a a seedling for Mm -hmm. the character and you're expanding on that. And then you also have the other layer of collaborating with an illustrator Would you mind just kind of talking about that collaborative process a little bit? Because the illustrations in the book are also gorgeous and, again, help to deliver a lot of those different narrative aspects that you were just talking about. Yeah, Jennifer is fantastic. Um, Philomel, my publisher, sent me a list of potential illustrators and we ended up settling on her. And so we're actually doing this for book three right now as we're going through the draft and my editor and I mark it up and say like, here's where we think a good illustration would be. And I will usually call things out in the initial draft where I think it would be useful. So um, especially for things that the reader might not be familiar with. Uh, In book one, there's a lot of food illustration, uh, specifically Hawaiian and Japanese food. and so we go back and forth a few times. Uh, I usually end up having to provide some some samples. There was an illustration in this one where I was like, I want it to be like a Scooby-Doo scene. <laughs> you know, like one of those scenes where they're all peeking around the door in a hallway. And so I had to, I had to go find an example of what I was talking about. Uh, and Jennifer is, you know, very flexible, very, uh, very willing to take uh, notes, which uh, is fabulous. And she's also really good at replicating uh, specific places and specific things that I'm asking her to draw. Uh, so it's it's been, I've been very fortunate. She's she's great. And I think in this one, she did an r- amazing job with all of the physicality of the scenes mm-hmm. uh, for something that's about drama. So that was awesome to see. I'm wondering, you know, listeners of this show often will tell me they also appreciate tuning in to hear from illustrators and authors because it gives them a very real world example to be presenting to their class in terms of, hey, here's why, you know, we we want you to rehearse collaboration skills. Even if you are going to be an artist, you know, there's kind of a myth out there that if you're an artist or a writer that you work in isolation and every single illustrator author who's come on this show has said that is very far removed from the truth like you Mm -hmm. have to be able to collaborate with others and I'm almost curious what you were saying earlier about gameplay with D&D is that at all like an asset to you as a writer in terms of the way in which you collaborate 
uh, like I'm kind of wondering how similar that skill set might be, or if that's almost like a a space that helps you a little bit think about your specific approach to collaboration. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm the dungeon master for my group, so I run the whole game. I write the world. I write the story, and I think a good a good uh, game runner isn't precious about their story because you can't be you have I have seven players in my group um and they will take things in a direction I had no idea and they will just completely blow up something that I thought was going to be important or and if I get like petty and precious about it it doesn't make the experience fun and the whole idea is to be have fun with your friends um and I like collaborative storytelling like that I it's this one is by far the longest form of collaborative storytelling I've been doing. We've been going for like five years now, I think. And I think it has taught me a lot more about being flexible and also a lot more about uh, how to plan ahead, if that makes sense. Um, I feel like I used to be very, very structured when when I would do an outline, which is which is not that frequent. I would either just completely go and blind or be very structured. And now I spend a lot of time ahead, like thinking about stuff and kind of thinking about the way the different branches that a story can go. Um, and that has made me a lot more flexible with my writing, I think, and a little bit less, uh, a little bit more willing to take revisions, which also grad school helped with that. <laughs> being, a, being in an MFA program will uh, strip away any sort of pretensions and <laughs> uh preciousness you have about your writing um and I think that is valuable is as a creative is to not it is your baby but like like an actual child you have to let it grow <laughs> and it has to take on the uh take on the world and take in stuff from other people so I that's something you it's really hard to learn as a creative but I've I think I've gotten a lot better at it <laughs> Thank you for for unpacking that for us. Um, yeah, that's interesting to think about. Again, I think that D&D is becoming increasingly popular in schools. And so, um, again, I think we don't always necessarily think about where we can be working on skills in a way that's like, quote unquote, non-traditional. And so I love that, you know, you're a storyteller there who also has to learn to um, you know, be flexible and flexibility is a valuable skill. I think no matter what profession you might be interested in, or again, just valuable for your friendships and, and your family dynamics also. Um, I'm curious then where the idea came. This is a book that has a lot of footnotes and they're used in such a powerful way. And I don't think that's very typical of middle grade books. I, I can't even think of another example at the moment where I see them. And I, I love that you use them in a way where there's so much learning interspersed throughout this book, right? And it's also, it kind of adds to the the character as well. Like uh, it's just, I love the design choice and I would love to hear more footnote, footnotes as a narrative technique. Why was that essential in this book? Where did that idea come from? Because again, I'm just, I'm thinking about students who would pick this up and I think what you've done is you've given them a book where they're going to be doing so much additional research, which is great. You know, I feel like for me as 
as a child and even for me as an adult reader, like a truly great book sets me up to want to read or learn or know or ask even more. And very much your book does that. Uh, so the footnotes were in the original pitch, but they weren't used in quite the same way. Um, they were more used sort of as like parentheticals. Uh, and my use of footnotes was is probably most inspired by Terry Pratchett, who hmm. I think used footnotes in such an engaging and uh, brilliant way because they're always very funny and I don't think you necessarily have to read the footnotes in the Terry Pratchett book to read the, to understand the book. But if you don't read them, you're missing out on a lot because they will give you context about this fantasy world that he created. They will uh, just uh, add additional humor or make a joke. Um, and I wanted to pull that sort of ethos into it. Uh, initially, the structure of this book was that the whole book was her case file like this was something she was writing down and we moved away from that because it didn't make that much sense uh but i really wanted to keep the footnotes partially because there's a lot of uh things that people may not be familiar with uh including japanese words or hawaiian words and then i also wanted to use them to give a little bit more uh voice to heidi in scenes where uh we're you're not necessarily uh, in her thought process the whole time, if that makes sense. Eve, she she doesn't, she's not a like deeply reflective child. So she's not spending a lot of time like thinking in the narrative in the same way that um, there are in other books. And so this is a way to sort of add context or add a little bit of her a little bit of her in scenes where other stuff is going on. Yeah, again, I, I just, I'm kind of thinking this as a book where if it's a whole class read or it's a few students reading it together, I think they're going to really enjoy um, that process of like, what is this additional thing that I just learned or that I want to learn yeah. even more about? Very cool. Um, you know, again, I, I'm, I am without a doubt knowing that listeners of the show will pick up the book will be curious to think about ways they might be able to connect their students with you. And I always talk about like, you know, how powerful it can be to have students do a micro review or, mm -hmm. you know, again, I know that reviews often help support authors in many ways. And I'm wondering if there are specific places where if a class is going to do a review, leave a review, um, if there are preferences that you have, and if there are also additional opportunities for students to connect with you, to talk more about the work that you do um, and the story that you've cultivated here? Uh, well, first off, I want to say that there is a references page or there's a page called Meet ID on my website. And there's a, on the side, there's a list of references, uh, including, uh, you know, learning activities from the Kamehameha schools in Hawaii and, and uh, activities from the state of Hawaii. Uh, Department of Land and Natural Resources. So there's, it's a lot of stuff for kids and then also like a lot of learning activities. And there's also initial stuff from uh, the Japanese American National Museum as well. Uh, so uh, if you're looking for, if students are looking for more information on Hawaii specifically, that is a good place to start. Uh, but also speaking of my website, uh, there is a link to Penguin Classroom at the bottom. 
So if I'm totally open and willing to do school talks, I love talking to kids. Um, and the, I also have a contact form. Uh, if students want to send people to send reviews or get in touch with me, um, I would love to read reviews from kids. I Part of the I love like writing for middle grade is is fun and that it's a, a chance to sort of reach back into my youth but the problem is the audience is not online which is not a problem and that they shouldn't be <laughs> but I also don't get to hear from them very often um uh the most I've heard from actual readers of my book was recently my aunt's book club read this book and they all brought their like grandkids and kids and they all of them read it and that was the most I've ever heard from uh the target audience uh so i would love to hear more uh i don't know about any other way maybe you might be able to send mail to my publisher um and i i would be happy to send postcards back i have so many postcards that i would love to send people um so yeah any, any of that is a good way to get in touch with me Wonderful. Uh, and again, we'll be sure to link to those space spaces and, and listeners. It kind of sounds like a challenge. Like here is an opportunity for us to just like inundate Zoe with lots <laughs> of messages from lots of young readers and including their questions too. And Zoe, correct this if I'm wrong. I think you are also on Twitter. So I know sometimes teachers will like compile and anonymously kind of gather student thoughts on the book. Um, is that also a space for prospective classes to reach out and tag you and say like, Hey, here, here were some of our thoughts are here's our three sentence book review, or here was our, our, here's what we would love to see happen next in this journey for the character. Um, are you still, I, I feel like I insist on calling it Twitter still. Are, are you still oh, yeah. over there? Okay. I still call it Twitter too. Um, I was actually checking up on the new privacy policy and all of the branding on there still says Twitter, which I find really funny. Um, yeah, I, I still check it. I don't post very much, mostly because I don't, I don't know what to post about. Um, uh, but I also have an Instagram. They're both just my name. So those are also two ways of getting in touch with me. I might have a Tumblr too. I don't remember. I think I do under my full name also. Oh gosh, I might still have a Tumblr also. You yeah. I'm curious. I'll have to go <laughs> check that out. Yeah, I don't remember either. So, Well, great. We will be sure to link to all of those things. And I'm guessing also we might have a few young D&D players also who might want to ask you some questions about that as well. So listeners, if you would like to reach out and have your class connect with Zoe about this amazing new book, lots of opportunities to do that. Thank you again so much for coming on the show and, and talking a little bit more about the behind the scenes of this fantastic book. I love the book club idea where um, it's a social book club and folks brought the young people in their life. That's also what a great way to um, to share in the joy of the story. So thanks for for that idea too. Oh yeah, it was so much fun. In book one, Idy plays a little prank with cupcakes and uh, one of them made those prank cupcakes and didn't tell me until I started, I bit into one and I was like, I know what these are. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was wonderful. It was a, a real delight. That's like next level coordination of a book club. I love that. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Don't forget listeners, if you are interested in winning a free copy of the book we discussed today, head on over to the show notes, sign up for my free newsletter at alliedorg to learn more about your opportunity to win. See you again next Thursday.